Well, appreciate everybody being here this morning, and we have a good new number of folks, and we do have some visitors. I would like for you, if you would, before we get into the lesson, take your songbook out and turn to 1015. 1015. You may not need it. Uh, but I was sitting down here, and, and while we were observing communion, somebody behind me was singing this song. And so I thought that it'd only be fair that maybe we just we just sing this song as a group. So uh, you know, let's sing this song together. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Just so we know, he loves all the people of the world. Not just the little children, but that's good. We've been in First Peter for quite some time, and, and uh, we've done this re- little review about every week. But uh, it's Peter's guide to foreigners in this world, and in case you hadn't figured it out by now, you are the foreigners. We are the foreigners in this world. And we've come a long way. We've seen Peter talk about the fact that we are God's elect. God's chosen in the world through Christ. That we have a living hope. That we have an internal, eternal inheritance. That we've called, we've been called to be holy. That we're living stones in a spiritual house. That we should always be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that we have. That we should recognize that the end of all things is near. And we ought to live appropriately and a lot more. One of the things that Peter has mentioned a couple times already in his letter that we're going to get into fully, more fully this morning, is the fact that he is preparing the church, the people to whom he's writing, for the persecution that was about to come. Now, there was already some persecution. And the people that he wrote to were already experiencing some. But it was going to get a lot Worse as time went along. Persecution originally came from the Jews. We read in the early part of Acts that it was the Jews who persecuted the church. We remember Saul who becomes Paul who gets these uh, arrest warrants out and he's going from house to house dragging away those who were in the way and bringing them to, uh, to be arrested. And in fact, he was on his way to Damascus To arrest those Christians that were there when Jesus called him on that road. Eventually though the persecution turns. And the persecution goes from being a Jewish persecution. To being a Roman persecution. By the Roman government. And in just a few years it is not going to be just a a, a little thing of, of making it uncomfortable for the Christians. Of just throwing them in jail. But in fact, they would be tortured. 
And we know about the Roman Colosseum and how the Christians were brought in there and, and fed to the lions. How that the, the road to Rome was, was paved with or lined with crosses and Christians were crucified all along the way. It was going to be awful. And Peter needed to prepare the people to whom he was writing for what was about to happen. You know, this country, we know from our our history, was founded by those who were seeking refuge from religious persecution in Europe. Our first amendment, the very first words of our first amendment, guarantees us the right and the freedom of religion. And we understand that and we we get that. But we have seen in our country a shift, a concerted effort to marginalize Christianity in America. Movements filled with hatred, misrepresentation, and even violence against the beliefs, the morals, and the standards of Christianity. Attacks on even the belief in God in general. And those of us who are older would have never thought we saw we would see the day that we have already seen. More of a reminder, I think. More of a reminder of where our true citizenship is. I love, I'm going to be honest with you. I love America. I've been... Lots of other places in the world. And there is nowhere else I'd rather be a citizen of. I appreciate the foundation of our nation. I appreciate the beginning values of our nation. I appreciate the freedoms that we have. I appreciate the democracy that we enjoy. But my true citizenship. Is not here. My true citizenship is not just in the world. My true citizenship is not in the United States of America. My true citizenship is in heaven. And Peter has been talking about this all along. He was talking to some who were Roman citizens. And they were proud of that. But he wanted to remind them. Your true citizenship is in heaven. Those who may have been Jews and, and claimed an Israel citizenship, Israeli, although I probably wouldn't have used that word back then, citizenship. But he wanted to remind them that their true citizenship was in heaven. Peter was writing to those who were already experiencing some persecution, but much worse lay ahead. How were they supposed to react? What were they supposed to do in the midst of this persecution? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to react when persecution arises? I think Peter's words to his readers are the same for us as well. Beginning in chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed 
For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or as a thief or any kind of other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Wow, look at the, look at the class he put meddlers in with. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I believe that Paul brought out some things. Peter, see, some of you didn't even catch it, did you? Some of you didn't even catch it. Peter brought out some things, not only that are important for his readers, but I think are important for us as well. And the first thing he tells us is that we need to expect suffering. I love what that first verse, if you're there, go to verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. I think that so applies to us. I know it applies to to me on so many levels. Because as we've seen this change and this shift in our society and in our world, we seem shocked by it. We seem surprised by it. We seem like all of a sudden something strange is happening to us. And maybe that's the way Peter's readers felt as well. But he's saying to them, why are you shocked? Why are you surprised? I've told this story before, and many of you have heard it, but sit back, you get it again. Uh, And you can go on the uh, church website and listen to the sermon and get it again if you want to. Uh, Why some of you people are listening to the sermons over and over again, that I don't understand. But anyway, that's a side point. One of one of my favorite things to do at Six Flags, if there is a besides eating, which is really the only favorite thing I enjoy doing at Six Flags, but there is or used to be. I don't know if it's still there because it has been several years since I've been to Six Flags, and there's another verse to that, and we won't go into it. But uh, there's a ride called Splash Water Falls. It is one of the shortest rides at Six Flags, but it is one of the longest lines at Six Flags. And essentially what you do is you get in this boat and this boat takes you up a ramp and you go around and then you go down the ramp and you hit the water and it splashes everywhere. Hence the name Splash Water Falls. Now, one of the things that you can do or used to could do, I don't know if you kid anymore, but there was a bridge that went over from where you got off the boat to the rest of the park. And so what you could do is, is once you got off the boat, you would come up and you would stand on the bridge and wait for the next boat to come down. And as the next boat came down and hit the water, that water would splash up and drench you. Now, why you enjoyed this, I don't know. 
But as I would sit there and watch this, it tickled me a little bit. Because here would be these kids who would wait for an hour in line to watch this ride. And for an hour, they'd been standing there watching the people on the bridge get soaking wet. And then they would get on the bridge and get soaking wet. And as they came off, they were all shocked and surprised. Look how wet I got. Can you believe that? Can you believe that all that water? And I'm like, you stood there and you watched it for an hour. Did you think that there would be some magical force field? That would just all of a sudden be raised and you wouldn't get wet? And I, it's kind of, I think what Peter is saying a little bit, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. We go back in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Wow. And then it goes on and talks about it even more. You know, don't be surprised when, when men revile you and they bless you when they do all these things. And then as he's preparing his disciples for the time that he was going to have to lead them, he said, don't be surprised that the world hates you. It hated me. Over in chapter 2, we kind of skipped it, but over in chapter 2, Peter already talked about that. Remember, we, we like that verse where it says, and Jesus left us footsteps as an example that we should follow. We even sing that song, Footprints of Jesus, you know, and and all that. And we use that verse in all kinds of different contexts. But in the context in which Peter was using it, it was about suffering. Jesus suffered. Don't be shocked as his followers that you're going to suffer too. He endured persecution. Don't be shocked that you'll endure persecution as well. There is a spiritual war going on and no opposition from the enemy. That's what would be strange, wouldn't it? If we were at war and there was no opposition from the enemy, we would think, well, that's a little weird. That's a little strange. And Peter is saying, don't think it's strange when that opposition comes. Don't think it's strange when that persecution happens. It may come from those closest to us. It may come from our family. It may come from our friends. It may come from our co-workers or our neighbors. It may come to us as an extension of the government. As it was about to for these people to whom Peter was writing. It may come from foreign powers. But Peter says it will come. Suffering because of Christ will come. We can idealize if we want to. We can expect sanctuary and refuge and safety from our society. But I believe that this, and I am convinced this is a ploy by Satan to number one, let our guard down. If we think that the world is with us, if we think that the world is on our side, If we think that the world is our friend, well, then we let our guard down. 
We think we're okay. I've mentioned this before as well. Many of you know that in a previous life, I was a meter reader for the electric company. There are certain hazards that are out there for meter readers. And one of them is dogs. One of them is dogs. I was bit, bit or bitten. I don't know, whatever you say. I got bitten, I got bit. A dog bit me. I know I got that one right. Four times while I was reading meters. But I never got bit by a dog that I thought was going to bite me. Not one time. I could go in a backyard on the meanest Doberman, Pincher, German Shepherd, whatever. And I I could back that dog down. I was the dog whisperer. I could do that little thing. And as long as I was scared of that dog, I could I could walk my way around and I could keep him at bay and I could read the meter. I may not have read it right, but I could read the meter. They may may have complained about their four thousand dollar electric bill the next month, but that's what they get for having a dog. You know what I mean? And I could wiggle my way and get out. Never got bit by a dog that I thought was going to bite me. But I got bit by a few dogs that I didn't think were going to bite me. Some dogs that I thought, oh, that little yappy thing can't hurt me. Wow. You know, little yappy things have teeth. They're sharp. Or the owner's holding that dog so that dog won't bite me. Wow. Or he looks so cute and fluffy. But that's what Satan does. He lulls us into thinking. That the world is on our side. That the world is with us. That we can find safety and freedom and sanctuary in the government and our society and the world. And then all of a sudden, what happened? It turned against us. And I think Satan also uses us, uses it to soften us up and make us unprepared for the battle when it is waged. We need to prepare ourselves and not be surprised when persecution and suffering for Christ comes. And secondly, he says that we ought to rejoice in suffering. Whoa. That's one of them oxymorons, isn't it? You know, one of those things that just doesn't make sense. Rejoice suffering. It's like two opposites ends are... Or maybe it's like ends of a magnet. Uh, You figured out, you know, where you can't put them together. You know what I'm talking about? Rejoicing and suffering. But Peter tells us to rejoice. Our rejoicing puts us into fellowship with Christ. We share in his sufferings. As he said in in chapter 2 and verse 21, we follow in his footsteps. It's important that we understand, though. It's important that we understand that Peter is talking about suffering that is directly related to our fellowship with God. That is directly related to our Christianity. That is directly related to us following God. Peter is not talking about suffering in general. You know, unrighteous people suffer. 
Unrighteous people suffer loss. Unrighteous people suffer the death of a loved one. Unrighteous people get illnesses and die. Unrighteous people suffer tragedies in their lives. That's not what Peter is talking about here. Now, do we as Christians handle the normal, everyday, and I hate to use that word, sufferings differently than others in the world? Yeah, I think we do. We, we handle tragedy differently because of how we view things. We handle all these things differently, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about suffering that comes as a direct thing, result, thank you, Chuck, as a direct result of our Christianity. We don't get sick because we're Christians. We don't lose loved ones in our world because we're Christians. So what kind of suffering is he talking about? He's talking about the suffering that comes from being a Christian. He's talking about that that we suffer because we follow Christ. And what he says is, is that we don't cower. We're not ashamed of it. But we rejoice that we have been considered worthy enough to suffer as Jesus suffered. To suffer for his cause. To suffer for his name. But another thing along with that, he doesn't say, I don't think, I can't find it here, that we go out and intentionally try to suffer. We don't go out and intentionally try to bring persecution on ourselves. All through the rest of this letter and all through the rest of the the, the New Testament. How many times do the writers say, hey, live quiet, peaceable lives. Well, just, just get along with others. As far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all people. Now, don't, don't violate God's will. Don't necessarily, you know, draw undue attention to yourself. I think about that when I think about Daniel's three friends. Remember them? Uh, Well, actually it was Daniel. Uh, And remember, you know, that uh, the king was going, and the three friends, but the king was going to make them eat all these different, you know, put them on a special diet and do all these different things. And Daniel was, they didn't make a big commotion about it. They didn't make a big deal about it. They just said, look, we can't eat that kind of stuff. Just give us our diet and we're gonna, we'll, we'll be all right. We're not going to make a big deal about it. Now, that's when Daniel was a young man. When Daniel was an old man, and sometimes we don't understand the age, the time frame between Daniel 1 and the end of Daniel. But when you get to the, the, the lion's den part of Daniel, Daniel's old. He's old at that point. And remember that some of his enemies convinced the king to make a proclamation that you couldn't pray to anybody but their king or their God. 
What did Daniel do? Got a picket sign. Walked around the palace and picketed the palace. That's not what Daniel did. He got a whole bunch of people together to, to, to riot and to do a... That's not what he did. What did he do? He simply did what he'd always done. He went and he prayed in his room. Just like he'd always done. Now guess what? The persecution came. His enemies told the king about it. The king reluctantly threw him in the lion's den. Now God spared him. But he didn't go out creating or seeking persecution. We don't go out and seek and create persecution. But we ought to expect it in the sense that if we live godly lives, there's going to be some persecution. The third thing that Peter says here a little bit is that we ought to examine our lives Peter hints that this persecution is, in in a sense, a judgment. Persecution, trials, sufferings are a refining process of our faith. James tells us that. James tells us, consider it pure joy when all these trials come upon you. There's that oxymoronic thing again, right? Pure joy when you go through all these trials of any kind. Because we know that the trying of our faith produces perseverance. Our faith needs to be tested to be really faith. And so our faith is being built and we examine ourselves. Do you think it's okay to ask ourselves this question? If we are experiencing no persecution at all in our lives, are we living our lives right? If we are experiencing no persecution at all in our lives, are we living our lives right? Now, it could be. Still in our world, in our society, that we can be around enough of the right people most of the time and be in the right situations most of the time that we may not experience persecution as such. Maybe. I'm convinced that's not going to last very long. Maybe I'm a pessimist. But I think there's going to come a time. And some of you have already begun to experience it. We see it on more of a theoretical level out there. We hear about it on the news and we see newspaper articles and and things like that about Christians, you know, kind of being persecuted. But let's face it, here in our little sphere of the world, we're still mostly a pretty conservative Christian-based part of the country. 
And so maybe we don't experience it that much. But we will, I think. We will. And we got to prepare for it. We got to be ready for it. We got to examine our lives. Are we living the kind of life that we ought to be? Or am I conforming too much to this world? Have I blended into the culture and the values of the foreign world in which I live that no, the world no longer sees a difference between me and the world? Do they consider me an alien? Do I appear different as the light and the salt of the world? Fourthly, he says that we commit ourselves to God. How do we hold up under persecution? By, consider, by committing ourselves to God and his glory. And I found out that word commit is a banking term. And it has to do with depositing money for safekeeping. Wow. Well, that makes sense. We commit our lives. We commit our souls. We commit everything we have to God for safekeeping. And we trust and we have faith that he will keep us until the end. Commit ourselves, and I like the way he says this, commit ourselves to the faithful creator. In the midst of persecution, which of those is more important to you? The noun or the adjective? Faithful or creator? I think both are pretty important. When we're going through persecution, we're going through trials. It's important to remember that God is the creator. That God is the awesome God, almighty God, who holds everything in his hands. But it's also important to remember that he is faithful to keep his promises. Faithful that he will not let us be tempted beyond that which we can Endure that with every temptation, he provides for us an escape. And like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, when the king said, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And they said to him, our God is faithful. He will deliver us. But even if he doesn't. We're going to serve him. God may or may not deliver us from the suffering, from the, from the persecution, from whatever. God. He may or may not. But he's promised to take us out of this world. He's promised to save us in the end. He promised to take us home to live with him forever. And we believe it and we hold on to it. And we can withstand the persecution because he is faithful. We commit ourselves to the faithful creator of the world. Don't be surprised. Don't think that it's something strange when we're persecuted when you're persecuted because of your Christianity they persecuted Jesus they're going to persecute us but we remain faithful to the end 
We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.